Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Welcome this morning. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 9 through 18. Here we go. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the picture of the church that it gives us in this passage. Uh, God, I thank you for spiritual friends. I thank you for men in my life who exhort me and rebuke me and encourage me and comfort me and give me wisdom and counsel who check on my spiritual life. God, thank you, Father, for those kinds of relationships. And Lord, we are praying and asking that you would form those, develop those, uh, give people a, a desire to, to pursue those in their life today. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, when you watch a movie and all the action uh, is over and the movie is done and the plot is finished and then they roll the credits, you know, what do you, what do, you do when they roll the credits? Well, normally you get up and leave, right? Uh, that's kind of what a lot of people might do with this passage in Second Timothy. It almost seems like all the action is done and Paul has kind of wrapped up this letter and now he's just kind of rolling, rolling the credits, you know. Hey, say hi to this guy. Uh, uh, tell this guy to come see me. Bring this guy. Pick up my coat and my books. And, you know, it just kind of seems like he's wrapping things up. However, what I would uh, encourage you today is that uh, this passage, I think, is incredibly important in the life of Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church and in your life. One of the reasons is, is because there are really two passages um, that, that we hang the core belief of Christ-centered relationships on. Uh, now, it's supported throughout the Bible, but there's really two passages that we say, okay, this is why we say this is incredibly important in our church, Christ-centered relationships. Number one is Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. That passage kind of gives us the theological framework for Christ in our relationships. What we, what we see in that passage is Paul says, I want to get together with you guys so that we might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So that I might give you something to strengthen you in your faith. Okay, So we find in that passage that one of the reasons we get pressed together as believers is so that you can strengthen my faith and I can strengthen your faith. That's one of the things God does as he brings us together as a church in small groups, in accountability groups, in worship, in Sunday school, and all those things. Okay, Now this passage doesn't so much give us the theological framework. What it gives us is a real life picture of what this is going to look like. Okay, What's it going to look like if you really take serious God's command to love your neighbor? neighbor as yourself. If you take serious God's command to be pressed together in a church, okay? And so so that's one of the reasons I really like this passage. Another reason is this is the passage for those of you who are me and Jesus folks, okay? 
Uh, me and Jesus folks are those folks that say, all I need is Jesus, everybody else get out of my way, okay? They kind of picture their life as them and Jesus riding off in the sunset, you know? And whenever anybody else comes close, they shoot them, you know? Just, no, 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 you get back. It's me and Jesus all the way. I don't need anybody else, okay? Uh, well, here's what I would press on you today. The Apostle Paul was confronted by the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road. Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles, church planner to the world. Paul was caught up in the third heaven. See if you can beat this. Caught up in the third heaven, okay, saw things that he could not even express this side of eternity. Paul was beaten, scourged, imprisoned, flogged, shipwrecked, falsely accused, stoned, all for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's testimony in this passage is he deeply needs other believers to live out his Christian life. So what I would tell you is if Paul does, I think you do as well. I think I do as well. In fact, I think we're created that way. This is all in kind of introduction. But here's what the Bible says. We're not created to be alone. Uh, God created Adam, put him in the garden paradise. Genesis 2.18, what's he say? It's not good for the man to be alone. So he makes a helper for, for, for Adam, and, and we see family from that and uh, church from that. In fact, God, God has created us as a church to be the body of Christ. Uh, that's the metaphor he uses is a physical body, okay? And, and part of that metaphor is you can't say that you don't need one another. You can't say that you, you know, the, in Second Corinthians, First Corinthians 12, he says, the eye cannot see, say to the hand, I don't need you, or the finger to the elbow or whatever, you know? I mean, and he uses the image of a physical body. If ever you're in a room and you realize that your finger is across the room, you got a bad deal going, right? And, and in the same way, you know, when you realize you've been separated from the body, you're, you're living life apart from the church, you're not going to be what God created you to be, okay? God dispenses his grace through other believers. The practical living out of your faith, as you thumb through your New Testament, what do you see? Man, you see, because you love Jesus, what are you going to do? You're going to be patient with one another. You're going to bear with one another. You're going to forgive one another. You're going to show mercy to one another. You're going to be graceful with one another. I mean, over and over and over and over and over again. How are you going to do any of that unless you are vitally connected and involved in a practical level in the relationships of your church family? Folks, there are no lone ranger Christians. What we see here in, in 2 Timothy is Paul is pursuing, okay? I'm going to use that word a lot. So I want you to think of this. He is pursuing, okay? He's pursuing Christ in a relationship. He's pursuing men to be in his life in a practical way to, to do spiritual life together. And he's a guy that's humble enough to say, you know what, I need other, I need other guys in the faith. And we're, you know, we're just not all able to say that, are we? You know, a lot of us, we're not able to say, I practically need, I need, I need men to speak into my life. I need men to share God's truth with me. I need men to, to uh, exhort me and rebuke me and call me out. I need that. Not everybody's able to say that. So there's still a lot of people who are just like, you know what? I don't need that. It's just me and Jesus. And, and I just don't feel that that fits with what we see here in the New Testament. Paul is living all this out in very difficult circumstances. Uh, as, as you read this, keep in mind he's in prison, okay? Anybody that comes to see him is risking their life. 
he has no way to communicate with his friends except through letter, which takes months to, to, to arrive. He's in a not easy circumstance. And so what I want us to do is just look at this. And, and I've preached this a lot of different ways since I've been here. Today, how I want to do it, I've never done this before, is I want to preach it to you in categories of, of relationships you are likely to encounter if you take this passage serious. Okay? So if you take this serious today and you're like, yes, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to pursue being in fellowship with other believers the rest of my life. Okay, if you're going to do that, then, then you're, you're, likely going to pers- you're likely going to experience all of these categories of spiritual friendship. Okay, so that's what we're doing. You ready? Here we go. Here's number one category. This is kind of a sad one, but it, it occurs first, so we'll deal with it first. Verse 10, these are friends who fall away from Jesus. I don't want any of these, okay? I don't want, any, I don't want anybody to be in this category, but here's the reality. There probably will be some that are in this category. Friends who fall away from Jesus. Verse 10, he says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. We don't know much about Demas. Um, this is kind of one of those places where we'd really like some more information. But we know a couple things. Number one, we know that at one point in Demas' life, he was really walking for the Lord. When we go into Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul's kind of wrapping up that letter to the church at Colossae. And he's given the greetings. And one of the greetings he says is, hey, Demas greets you. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Luke's with him now, as does Demas. Okay, so at one time, Demas is living for the Lord. He's reading his Bible. He's, he's serving. He's doing children's church. He's proclaiming truth. He's, he's encouraging the apostle Paul. And then at some point, Demas begins to fall away from all that. We don't know what happened. The only information we're given here in the text is that Demas in love with this present world. Okay, Demas began to love the world more than he loved Christ. It's kind of a a stark contrast when you look at verse 8, the verse we finished at last week. And it talks about everybody's going to get the crown of righteousness who has loved the appearing of Jesus. In other words, who loves Jesus, who can't wait to be with Jesus, who looks to Jesus for all that they need. And Demas evidently at some point in his life came to the point where he loved the world more than he loved Jesus. And he bailed out on his faith. Okay, that's just the reality. If you, if you live the Christian life long enough and you invest in other people, you are likely to invest in somebody who at some point twists off and bails out. I wish I could say it's never going to happen at Lincoln Avenue, but I've been here almost 16 years and it has happened at Lincoln and it's happened a bunch. Okay, And it's just, it's just a reality. Jesus taught a bunch about it in the New Testament. You remember the, the, the parable of the soils? He talked about different kinds of hearts. And there's the shallow heart, the rocky heart. It's only got a little bit of soil. Right away, springs up. People are like, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I want to be in a Bible study. Yes, I want to be in a small group. What happens? There's no root. And and so when trials come, when things get difficult, when afflictions come, they fall away. The other type of soil, the weedy soil. It's got all kinds of weeds in it. The seed comes up right away, but it doesn't have enough nutrients. There's too much stuff in the life. There's too many sins there that aren't dealt with. There's too much busyness and other things. And, And so faith doesn't get enough nutrients to grow and people bail out. And so it happened to Paul with Demas. It happened to Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples. How many of them made it? 11. Okay. One of them fell away. One of them betrayed him. Uh, Solomon fell away at the end of his life and, and began to worship idols. Uh, Moses' brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, became his biggest critics at the end of his life. Uh, David's son, Absalom, turned against him and tried to take the kingdom. I mean, the Bible is full of people who started well and didn't finish well. And the sobering thought for us here in the 11 o'clock service, as we look around and see brothers and sisters in Christ committed to serving him, is that maybe not everybody's going to make it. 
Now, now, what's our response to that? Well, our response to that is not, well, it's just a reality. You know what our response is? We want to say, absolutely no. You know, man, I'm going to do everything I can to see that everybody crosses the finish line. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says, but exhort one another every day. Let's look at that again. It's up here on the screen for you. Exhort one another every day. I wish I had a pointer. Wouldn't that be cool if I had a long stick? I could do a lot with that. Not just point, but smash it. But exhort one another every day. Okay, let's say that together. Every day. day. Now, how often is every day? Every Every day. Very good. All right, we got that covered. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you know what that one verse implies? That implies that living the Christian life is more than Sunday morning. How do I know that? Because every day is not Sunday. You know, I don't know if you learned your your, uh, days of the week when you're in kindergarten, but you didn't learn it like this. Sunday, 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 Sunday. You didn't learn it that way, did you? No, it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? Okay. Well, every day implies that you've got spiritual relationships in your life in which somebody is speaking truth into your life on a daily basis. Okay, whether it be guys you work with, guys you gather with, people you text, people you email, whatever it is. But it involves spiritual relationships on an everyday basis. And the reason that we're told to do that is so that none of you, that's what we want, none of you, because we know this is a reality. We know that this really happens. People do really bail out on their faith. People do really quit running the race. And because of that, we want to exhort everybody every day so that no one's hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the first category is a sad one. It's friends who fall away from Jesus. Second category, and not a sad one, but it's a reality. Friends who are busy with the work of Jesus. Okay, I want you to look at some of these other guys Paul mentions. Okay, at the end of verse 10, mentions a guy named Crescens who's gone to Galatians. Then he mentions Titus. Titus is another pastor. In fact, there's a book of the Bible written right after this uh, that Paul writes to Titus in his ministry. So Titus is a pastor. Titus is in Dalmatia. Uh, Luke alone is with me. And then he says, get Mark. We don't know where Mark is, but Mark's out somewhere. But we know Mark is doing the work of Jesus. Why? Because he says, get Mark and bring him with you. He's very useful for me in ministry. Verse 12, Tychicus. This guy Paul sent to Ephesus to do spiritual work. The, the next guy, Carpus. He's at Troas taking care of Paul's things. Okay. So Paul has friends all over who, who, who are good guys who are ministering for Jesus. They're just not with him at that very time. Now, here's the point I want to make to you. Paul is desperately in need of brothers to encourage him right now. That's why he's right. That's why he finishes the letter out this way. He's saying, guys, come to me, come to me. But the reality is there's a lot of people that aren't with him. And you know why they're not with him? Because they're doing the work of Jesus. Now, this is a hard thing for us as believers, because you know what we want to do? We want to get some spiritual friends, you know, and, and that we really click with. Man, that's a sweet thing, you know. They encourage us. They check on us. They, 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 they're, they're, they're a blessing to us. And you know what we want to do? We want to put them in a headlock and never let them go, don't we? We want right here. This is where you're staying, okay? Now, how do I know this is true? Because we see it in our small group ministry all the time, don't we? You know, we see in our small group ministry, we start out with a small group. We had, we had I think, three groups this year split, Okay. And every one of them is painstaking, okay? You start out with a little group. Man, all of a sudden, you got these believers. You're doing life together. The ladies, they start going to lunch together. The guys, they start going to breakfast together, sharing the word. They start texting each other, encouraging each other in the Lord. Pretty soon, that little group grows. And that little group of, of four... Pastor Andrew started out this, this, uh, this small group semester with four. I think he's like up to like 12 or 13 already. We're halfway through the semester, you know. It grows. It gets bigger. And then 15 and then 20. And then what happens? Pastor Jason comes to you. 
hey, you need to split, you know, except for Bonnie's group. I tried that and they told me, you do that one more time, you gone, brother. You're out of a job. So I just leave them alone now. I don't know. But everybody else, I'm like, hey, you guys need to split, you know. And then they cry and they kick me in the shins and then finally they do, okay. You know why that's hard? It's hard to let go of your friends. And you're not letting go of them. They're still your friends. But you want to see them all the time, right? You know what I love about Paul? Man, Paul needed his buddy. He's pleading right here. Come to me. But you know what he's also willing to do? He's also willing to say, hey, Tychicus, I need you to go to Ephesus. I need you to spend the next year in Ephesus. Man, that church is in trouble. Timothy, I need you to go. I need you to go somewhere else. I need you to go to this church. Man, he's willing to... He's willing to let his friends be busy with the work of Jesus. You know, there's times, guys, where here's the reality. We might feel alone. We might feel like, man, I really need my brothers right now. I'm going through a hard time. And you know what the reality might be? It might be that you've got some really good friends. They're just busy working for Jesus. Can that be? Yeah, it was for Paul. Okay, third category. This is just a real quick one. Friends who are faithful and near. Out of the 16 people that Paul mentions in this, these last 13 verses of 2 Timothy... How many are with him presently? One. One out of 16. And a lot of it's because most of them are just out working for Jesus. But he's got one. He's got Luke. Luke's a good guy, by the way. He wrote two books of the New Testament. Whenever you write two books of the New Testament, you're a pretty solid guy. You know, he's pretty good. All right, but here, here's the thing I want to point out about Luke, okay? Luke's, Luke's a great guy. He's a good friend. He's with Paul right now. But you know what? Paul is not one of those one friend guys. Okay, I'm, 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 see, I'm, I'm picking on a lot of things today. Sorry, this just, I'm just going to, it's one of those kind of sermons. But ladies, ladies, ladies tend to kind of be this way sometimes. Ladies want the BFF. You know what a BFF is? Okay, young guys, Ivy knows what BFF is. That, actually, that's probably like last year's trendy stuff. There's probably something new now that Ivy will tell me tonight that actually has replaced BFF. But it's best friend forever, right? And, and, and ladies a lot of times want the best friend forever. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, but a lot of times what, what ladies, even spiritual ladies will want is they want a friend who we do everything together. You know, we go to church together, we sit by each other at church, and we sit by each other at Sunday school, and we drink coffee together. And our kids, we grow up, they grow up together. And your kids stay at my house, my kids stay at your house. Sometimes we're not even sure whose kids are whose because they're just you know all together there. And, and we sew together, and we crochet together, and we bowl together, and we shoot rifles together, and we you know we do everything together. And you're my BFF forever and ever. And if anybody else tries to get in between this, we're taking them out. You know, and that, that's sometimes the way that spiritual relationships will be. Hey, we're all, this sermon is all about spiritual friendships, but you know what? The great thing I, be, I see about the Apostle Paul, he had an ever-expanding desire for, for spiritual relationships. So Paul's never content, okay? Luke is with him. You'd think if you had Luke with you, you know, one of the writers of the, the third gospel, You'd be, you'd be, you know, Paul's always like, man, get Mark, man. I want to talk to Mark. I got to see how he's doing. I, you know, I want him to invest in me. Hey, get, get, get this guy, Timothy. I need you here. I mean, Paul is always reaching out more and more in his friendships. I think that's a really healthy thing. Okay. Number, I don't know what number it is. I lost count. Uh, next one, friends who deserve second chances. One of the most beautiful pictures in the new Testament, I think is right here. Okay. This little phrase in verse 11 Great picture. Are you ready? Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me in ministry. You know why that's a beautiful picture? It's because there was a time in Paul's life where he and Mark 
butted heads, okay? In fact, so much so that Paul refused to go with Barnabas on a mission trip if Mark was going. Now, that's pretty big, isn't it? I mean, it's in the Bible, actually. I'm not making this stuff up. Some of you guys think I make stuff up. I don't. And if I do, I tell you I make it up. Uh, Acts 13. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are on a missionary trip. They got John with them. And we just find this little phrase in verse 13. It says, now, uh, just chapter 13, verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them. Okay, it's, his name's John Mark. So sometimes they call him John, sometimes they call him Mark. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, we wouldn't think that's that big a deal. You know, he just, hey, this guy left. Okay, we go into chapter 15, though, and we, we do see that this, this is a pretty big deal. Chapter 15, verse 37. I'll start reading verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city. So they're going to go on another mission trip where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So Mark didn't finish, okay? Verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Now, you guys know what a sharp disagreement is, right? I mean, there's a disagreement. There's a, you think this, I think this, and then there's a sharp disagreement. What's a sharp disagreement? That's when we're butting heads over to a thing so much that we can't agree, and finally we decide just to agree not to, do, not to agree. And that's what happened here. And it is all over this guy, this guy Mark, okay? And we don't know what happened, but on the mission trip, he was with them. He had assignments. I don't know what they were. You know, maybe he did children's church, you know? And, and, and maybe he did the nursery, or maybe he did the young people, or maybe he had a preaching responsibility, or maybe he, I don't know. He had responsibilities, and at some point in the trip, he says, guys, I'm done with this. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm going home. And he leaves them high and dry. So much so that right after that, Paul's like, man, we're not going to take this guy again, okay? But here's the beautiful thing about what we see here in 2 Timothy 4 is Paul was not a one-strike-and-you're-out kind of guy, okay? Some of you guys, are you one-strike guys, you know? You know, you, you throw somebody a fastball, they miss it, they're out, you know? They're out. You, you put them in the out category, okay? Paul was not that kind of guy. You know, he could have somebody let him down. He could have somebody fail. He could have somebody blow it. He could have somebody not do what they were supposed to do. He could have somebody offend him. And Paul was not finished with them, okay? Now, he acknowledged it was real, but at some point, he and Mark restore the relationship. At some point, they become ministers of the gospel together again. And now at the end of his life, he's saying, man, stop and get Mark. Bring him here because this guy is useful. This guy's useful. You know, sometimes I think we as Christians forget about something we deeply believe, which is called sanctification. You know what sanctification is? It's the process by which we are made as believers more like Jesus. Okay? So when you're saved, you're born again, you turn away from your sins, you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. And what does God begin to do? He begins to sanctify you. He begins to work on your anger, work on your greed, work on your covetousness, work on your people skills, work on you loving one another. He begins to work on you, shaping you, forming you. And what we believe as Christians is that happens all through the Christian life, okay? So, so here's the reality. Sometimes people are going to blow it yesterday. That doesn't mean they're going to blow it next week. That doesn't mean you write them off. That doesn't mean you put them in the, in the no good category. You know what? You continue to give opportunity for God to work in their lives and for them to become very useful to you in ministry. 
Here's a cool thought. Isn't it a cool thought to think there are people right now who just aren't very useful in ministry. They're not very good at encouraging. They're not very good at ministry. They're not very good at, uh, at whatever. They keep blowing it. But isn't it a cool thought to think that one day they won't be that way? Isn't that cool? That's neat. That's neat. Daniel Castor is uh, preaching in Arnett right now. He's given the word of God to the congregation in Arnett right now. Five years ago, Daniel Castor was taking his senior pictures without a shirt on just to be funny, okay? <laughs> Daniel's grown a lot. I mean, he was always a good kid, but man, I'd have been afraid. Five years ago, ten, seven years ago, I'd have been afraid to put that guy in the pulpit. Just said, what's he going to say, you know? But you know what? I trust him now. I mean, I've really seen in him God hammering away at him, making him a really useful guy in ministry. That's cool. Can't we give people second chances? We ought to be able to. All right, verse uh, 14. This is a bad category. Sometimes you're going to have enemies in your life. Okay, look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Now, now here's the deal. Don't use the word enemy lightly, okay? Out of the 16 people that Paul mentions here, this guy's the only, only guy he mentions really in this category, okay? In the category of somebody who is opposing him and seeking to harm him, okay? Some, we've all got this enemy category. Let's call it a room. We've all got this enemy room in our lives, okay? Some of you, you don't have an enemy room. You have like a coliseum, okay? You have a coliseum that you're, you're, you're always constructing new wings on, all right? And, and you put all kinds of people in there that don't need to be in there, okay? Someone disagrees with you politically. Enemy room you go. You're going to vote for that guy in there, you know? Uh, someone disagrees with you theologically, you know? They, they're a pre-tribber. You're a mid-tribber. Enemy room, you know? Someone, someone hurts you. Someone uh, says something that's a little catty, you know? It's not, it's not very appropriate. Enemy room you go. You know, someone walks by you in church and doesn't say hello. Enemy. I mean, your room should not be full. Listen, let me tell you this this morning. I want you to think about your enemy room. If you've got more than one or two people in there, you're probably sticking people in there that shouldn't be in there. Okay. In all reality. I mean, really, uh, maybe, maybe some people is different because you're line of work or something, but, but you shouldn't have very many people in there. Now, now here's the deal. This guy is truly an enemy of the apostle Paul. Look at what the, the text says. It says that he is against, he's opposing the message of the gospel. All right. So everything Paul stands for, this guy stands against. Okay. The mission of Paul's life, this guy is gunning for it. He's trying to take it down. He's trying to hinder Paul from the mission of the gospel. And in doing so, he's harming the apostle Paul. Probably this guy was one of the guys who was responsible for one of Paul's persecutions. You know, Paul would be preaching the gospel in a certain city and some guy or group of guys would come in. They would rile up the crowds. They would say lies about Paul and Paul would end up under a rock pile. You know, Paul would end up on the rack getting beat with rods. Paul would end up getting scourged. Paul would end up in prison. Paul would end up, you know, harmed in some physical way. Probably as Paul is writing this, he feels the, the bruises and the, and the cripplingness that had happened to him because of this Alexander guy. I mean, this is a real deal. This guy had really hurt him. So you know what Paul does? Paul simply, I'm kind of using images of rooms today. Paul simply puts him in God's room. Okay. Paul takes him, Alexander the coppersmith. The only reason I'm telling you this, Timothy, is because I want you to be aware of him. This guy's against the gospel. He tried to harm me. He's going to harm you. Paul just puts him in, in God's room. And you know what he says? It's a great phrase here. He says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. That's all you got to do with your enemies. Isn't that great? 
You don't got to fume over them. You don't got to sweat over them. You don't got to lay in bed at night and imagine all kinds of horrible things happening to them. You don't got to get on the phone and tell everybody how. You know all you got to do? You got to put them in God's room and say, God, I know you handle this guy. That's it. May the Lord repay him. God, God will do it. The Lord will do it. God will handle it. God's big enough. Romans 12, 19, here's what it says. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If you don't do this, here's the reality, you don't trust God. That's true, my friends. You don't trust God. You don't trust that God will do what needs to be done. But instead you're saying, well, God, you know, I... I just don't think you're going to do it hard enough, you know? God, I just don't think you're going to do it well enough. I don't think you're going to do it quick enough. God, I don't think you're going to do it good enough. God, I think I need to do this because you're not quite capable. It's not true. Don't say that about God. God God will do it. God will handle it in the way that it needs to be handled. All right, now here's the big category. Are you ready? This this one I really want you to zero in. You're not asleep yet, are you? Because this is the important part, okay? (laughs) Friends that are faithful friends but let you down. That ever happened? Yep. Verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. You hear that? All deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Okay, Paul had a defense. Okay, what that means is he was being brought to trial. He's being brought to trial before the emperor. Real things are at stake here. The emperor may just say, off with your head. And Paul may go from there to the executioner block and they may cut his head off in a matter of minutes. Okay? That's what Paul's facing. You know what Paul needed? Paul just needed... He knew that nobody could probably do anything for him as far as saving him. But you know what he, you know what he wanted? You know what he needed? He wanted some guy there to be sitting with him in the gallery. So that when the bailiff said, the Roman Empire against the Apostle Paul, he'd have a guy with his arm around him. And a guy that would lean over and say, Father, I just pray for Paul. I just pray, God, that you'd just give him strength in this time. And God, just help him to say what needs to be said. God, just take away any fear in his heart. And God, just help him to glorify you, whether by life or death. And God, just just be with him. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, buddy, I'm here for you. That's all he needed. That right there. That's all he needed. Nobody showed up. Nobody. Paul's been planting churches for decades. Paul's invested in in countless thousands of lives. Paul has ministered to and discipled hundreds of men. Nobody shows up. Nobody. How do you handle that? Because you're going to have to handle it. Everybody does. Jesus did. Man, Jesus pours three years into 12 guys in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hey, Peter, James, John, man, if you guys just watch and pray with me, watch and pray. What do they do? You know, he wakes them up. Hey, guys, watch and pray. Nah, three times. They're not there for him. It's going to happen to you, okay? It's just going to. How are you going to handle it? This is a big deal. I mean, let me tell you some things I hear a lot. The kids don't ever come by and see me. My spouse didn't remember my birthday. My kids don't appreciate anything I do for them. Nobody came when I was sick. Nobody asked about my daughter. Nobody noticed when I was depressed. Nobody ever invites us over. Nobody prayed for me during my struggle. Those are all real. Yeah. Don't act like they're not. They are. They're real. 
What do you do? Let me give you four things. Number one, man, don't make radical assumptions. You know where some people go from there? You know, you know, you know what they do? They make assumptions that Paul did not make here. Let me, let, me, let me share some of them, okay? That church is full of hypocrites. I hear that a lot. Not about our church, but just other churches even, you know? My church, my church is full of hypocrites. I'm like, well, don't come to ours because it's the same, you know? Man, they don't have genuine faith. I'm obviously not important to them. They don't care anything about me. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Do we know that that's true? Could it be that nobody was there because there are circumstances we're not aware of? Could that be true sometimes? Could it be true that there are circumstances that we're just not aware of? Could it be true that sometimes we have unrealistic expectations? You know, I'd like to think that that's not true about myself, but I see it's true about me in marriage a lot, so I don't wonder if it's not true in other things as well. There's a lot of times, I'll just be honest, in my marriage, I got these thoughts going through my head, you know, but I'll, I'll be overwhelmed, all my schedule will be pressing on me, and I'll be thinking, man, why doesn't anybody help me more, you know? Why is she... And, and, but then when I think about what exactly do I want her to do, I'm like, well, she's already doing that and that and that and that and that. Well, I don't know. I just, just seemed like she ought to be doing more, you know? I mean, I, if that's true of me and my marriage, it's probably true of us in general, isn't it? Sometimes we, when we're hurting, especially, we got unrealistic expectations. Here, here's something that's true. People may be trying. Isn't that right? They may be trying. They may not be aware of your need. That happened. Doesn't that happen? You know, and that's happened here. I've gone to Walmart before and I'll see somebody kind of gimping. I'll be like, hey, man, what's up? Well, it's my triple bypass pastor. I just got out of the hospital, you know, and got my leg amputated and I got my new leg. And I'm like, man, when did all this happen? Well, last, last week, nobody came. Man, we didn't know. I'm sorry, you know. I mean, that just, that happens. It happens. It happens. Or they may simply have failed. Isn't that true? That's true. Sometimes we fail. I always tell people at the new member dinner, I get it out of the way right away. Hey, we're going to fail you. We are. Sorry. I want to say I'm sorry beforehand because it's going to happen. And we don't always hit home runs. Sometimes we strike out. Sometimes we blow it. If you're looking for the perfect place, tell me when you find it because I'm on my way. Number two, realize that to have Christ in our relationships means we got to bear with people over the long haul. You know that song, Jesus, Friend of Sinners? Just put your name in there, okay? Put your name in there. Shelby, Friend of Sinners. Shelby, you got any friends that aren't sinners besides Sue? No? Okay. We don't have any. If you got friends, they're sinners. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another. Romans 15.1, bear with the failings of the weak. I like that word bear with. You know, it just implies like, yeah, it's real. It's heavy. I know. I'm going to carry it anyway. That's what it means to bear with. Number three, affirm that unforgiveness is a sin on your part, even if the offense is real against you. Man, here's what I tell myself. It's never good for me to nurse a grudge. It's never good for me to play the wounded victim card. It's just never good for me. It's just not, it doesn't matter what anybody else did. It's just not good for me. And then number four, when your friends let you down, here, here's, here's, here's the key. Pursue, pursue, pursue. 
those relationships. Okay, everybody deserted Paul. So how does he respond to that? Verse 9, Timothy, get here. Do your best to come here. Meet me. I need you. Verse 11, get Mark. Find Mark. Bring that guy with you. I need him. Verse 21, man, get here before winter. Come now. What's he doing? He's pursuing. He's arranging. He's inviting. He's calling. He's texting. He's emailing. He's face. I can't say that Paul be on Facebook. He's, he's calling. He's pursuing. He's pursuing. All right, final category. We got to go. We're out of time. This is the best one of all. Jesus, the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Look what happens here. Everybody deserts Paul. Nobody's there for him. Look at verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. You know what's true? What is true is that Jesus will always be there. What is true is that Jesus can strengthen you in ways that your friends cannot. Isn't that cool? And sometimes Jesus uses your friends. I mean, that's what I'm telling you at the beginning of this sermon. God uses people, okay? Sometimes God will use people to comfort you, to, to encourage you, to exhort you, to rebuke you, to reprove you, to he, equip you. God will use people. But you know what? Sometimes God just does it. Sometimes God just gives you strength. Sometimes God arranges just through the power of his Holy Spirit and the spoken word of the Bible just to build you up and to give you exactly what you need. And I'm convinced that sometimes God arranges that nobody else is there for you so that you will depend, learn to depend on Jesus alone. I think that's what happened here. In, I think that's why Paul writes it this way. I think that's why he says in verse 16, everybody deserted me. Nobody was there for me. Verse 17, the Lord stood by me. The Lord strengthened me. The Lord protected me. I think that's why he says it that way. I think his point is not, you know, bashing on his friends. I think his point is, hey, man, I am learning that even when my friends are not there, Jesus does great things in my life. You know, and, and, and think about this. Think of Paul's response to that, Okay. His response to Jesus supplies all my needs. He's all that I need. His response is not, well, hey, you know, I don't need any of you guys. You know, if Jesus supplies all my need, then you guys just get on out, you know, because you're a bunch of trouble. You're, You're messy. He doesn't do that. No, he says Jesus supplies all my needs. So you know what? I can dive into the mess. See, here's what I think. I think the more convinced you are that Jesus will meet all your needs the more free you are to build relationships. Isn't that right? Man, I'll tell you what. A marriage in which somebody says, man, I'm glad I'm married to you because you're going to meet all my needs. I'm like, that's going to be a disaster, okay? I mean, really, you know? I'm getting married to you because you're going to make me happy. Uh Uh-oh, I don't want to be that person, okay? You can't, we can't do it. But you know what? A marriage that says this, man, Jesus meets all my needs. Jesus takes care of me. He provides for me. He strengthens me. He gives to me. He's generous with me. Jesus meets all my needs. I want to be married to that person. You know why? Because that person is freed up to give to others. I really think what Paul's saying here is, man, even when when everybody else bails out, man, Christ is everything I need. So that pushes me back in to build the right kind of relationships. In fact, it builds up hope. You know, again, I think sometimes God, I think sometimes God actually orchestrates that nobody's there for us so that we can learn just how good he is. Verse 18, 
The Lord will. Notice he, he switches to future tense. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. You know what Paul says? He says, man, everybody bailed out on me. And so all I had was Jesus. Jesus took such great care of me. Man, I'm convinced he's going to take care of me all the way to glory. He's going to bring me all the way. The Lord will take care of me. He'll bring me all the way into the kingdom. You see, everybody bailing out on Paul gave Paul the chance to experience fresh the strengthening of the Lord and give him confidence that God was going to do great things in the future. So, we need our friends. Listen, here's what I'm convinced of. I got to have you guys. I got to have you. In order to be the pastor God called me to be, I got to have you. I got to have you praying for me. I got to have you fellowship. I got to, I got to watch you live the Christian life. You, you, I need your encouragement. I need brothers around me. I need that. And I really think you need it too. And I really think here's the take home of today. You got to pursue. We're coming right back to that word. You got to pursue. That's what Paul's doing. He's finishing this letter by pursuing spiritual relationships. And you need to do that. I don't care how you do it, but you need to do it. If you're going to be who God's called you to be, you need to do it. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for spiritual friends. Thank you for people, God, that we can be on mission with, that we can serve with and grow with and be strengthened by. And God, I just, I just pray that you would magnify that at Lincoln Avenue. God, we're not always going to get it right. God, we're going to fail just like Paul's friends failed him. We're going to blow it uh, just like they blew it. But God, I just pray that, that your grace would cover that. God, that you would, you would stand by us, that you would meet all of our needs. And God, that you would just fill us up so that we can pour out on other people. Father, help us to do this well. And God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.